Well, that's your prayer tonight. Amen. We want to do what God wants us to do. We want to follow the Lord. Let's give it up for our worship team tonight. Amen. Thank you all. Everyone can have a seat. I would say shake hands, but uh, we're not supposed to do that. Uh, so just do a little air wave, air fist bump. Uh, anyways, hey, we are glad that you are here today. And uh, my name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at Church on the Rock. And uh, Pastor John is out of town, him and Miss Linnell. They are on sabbatical. So we want to continue to pray for them and just lift them up that they have a good, refreshing time together and in the Lord. He'll be back in a few weeks. So you are stuck with me uh, for tonight. There you go. Uh, this week and next week. Uh, we have Pastor Zach will be bringing the word and Pastor Mike will be bringing the word as well. I do want to honor Pastor Ron in the back, uh, Miss Terry. Uh, hey, hey, we are so glad that y'all are in the house. A lot of you may, you may not know this, for years they were elders here at our church, just faithful members. We love them. They're our family. God is doing a great work in New Boston, Texas, a new building. Uh, God is moving, and we're just excited for them. So if you ever think about them, man, say a prayer, bless them. They are good, good people. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, tonight I'm going to be speaking, and this weekend we are starting a two-week mini-message, mini-series, if you will, entitled Marriage and Family. And the primary focus tonight is going to be on marriage, and then next week, Lord willing, we will talk about family, and Whitney, my wife, she's going to tag team with me next week, and uh, we're going to roll with that. We're going to pray Corona stays away from here, and uh, all that in Jesus' name, and and we're going to talk about some of that as well tonight. Uh, But to show you before we jump in how qualified I am to talk about marriage and family, Whitney found a picture uh, earlier today that, you know, that's my baby right there. That's a, that's a, that's a Walmart sack around her. Uh, Whitney was, Whitney was out of town for a little bit and uh, we had to make do. I ran out of diapers and that actually came in really handy. So uh, anyways, Hey, where's all the ladies that went to the women's conference? Are you here, some of you? Hey, man, I heard it was amazing. Uh, where are my guys at that watched some kiddos this past weekend? I'm telling you, like, I, I thought I was a really good dad until Whitney left me with uh, our kids for a few days, and I'm, like, re-evaluating, like, the skills that I offer in our parenting. And uh, so I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing, but for the last hour before Whitney got home, my two older kids are looking out the window waiting for Whitney to come back, so... Uh, anyways, anyways, uh, well, let's talk about marriage for a few minutes. Is that okay? Uh, we're going to talk about marriage because I believe in marriage is so incredibly important. Godly marriages, listen, are the backbone of our civilization. And how Christian godly marriages go, I believe that's the direction that our society goes. I believe that when marriage in general kind of falls off or we go the ways of the world, I believe that the world and the society reflects that. Um, I'm not sure that you're aware of this, but we have two pandemics that are happening right now in America. Number one is the coronavirus, but number two is ungodly marriages. There's ungodly marriages all around us. We live in a culture today where ungodly marriages are the majority. We live in a culture today that's constantly trying to redefine who our society is, what our society stands for. There's becoming a redefinition of marriage and family and all that stuff. But marriages today that follow God and honor God are in the minority. What is more popular today than a godly, healthy Christian marriage is friends with benefits, shacking up, hooking up, breaking up, divorce. It's so common today. Uh, Some stats that I looked up just a a few weeks ago, really, people are getting married later in life. 
The median age for those married for the first time is currently 29.3 for men, 27.8, almost 28 for, for women. Couples who cohabitate have a 46% greater risk of divorce than couples who do not live together. Current estimates suggest that 45 to 50% of recent marriages will end in separation prior to the death of either spouse. The percentage of married individuals over the age of 18 who respond that their marriages are very happy, happy has gradually declined by over 40% over the last decade. Almost one-third of our kids uh, under the age of 18 live in a single-family home, and a third of those kids live in poverty. I could go on and on and on, but here's what we should get out of this, that marriages are are in trouble. When couples do get married, uh, there's a fi- about a 50% chance of divorce. Uh, people that are, stay married, a lot of them are unhappy. These statistics don't even account for depression or, or, or suicide or alcoholism and, and really the effects of kids on a bad marriage. So marriage is a big deal. And listen to me, I believe that marriage in our society in general is trending the wrong way. Marriage is a big deal to God, and it's a big deal to us. So listen, why is all this stuff happening? Why are marriages uh, not so good? Why are they trending downward? Is it because the person, you know, the people found the wrong spouse? They found the wrong person? Uh, is it because of infidelity? Is it because of pressures and the stress of the world? Listen, I think the number one reason why marriages are in trouble today is because there's a real enemy out there that wants to destroy marriage. His name is Satan. He's the devil. He's the dragon of old who wants to destroy your marriage. Why? Because marriage points to Christ. Marriage is a representation of the gospel. So Satan hates marriage. He hates you. He hates me. He hates your spouse. He hates your family. He hates God, right? And so he has a plan to destroy marriage. As much as God has a plan for good, healthy, godly marriages that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, Satan has a plan to make marriages unhealthy, to make marriages uh, go with the trend of society. You know, I'm going to suggest to you that over the last hundred years, Satan's plan has become very successful and very elaborate in regards to marriage. Uh, A lot of us may be aware of this. Some of us may not be aware of this, but dating and ultimately marriage has drastically changed over the last hundred years. Uh, And real quick, what I want to do before we get into some practical points is I want to look at the root of some of the problems that we're dealing with right now in 2020. I want to go back about 120 years and show you how kind of the fabric of how we've done dating leading into marriage has changed. And so we're going to look at several dates right here. Uh, There's a good book that I read years ago. It was by Mark Driscoll. He's a pastor, and I'm taking some of this information from him. but, But follow me here. Back in the day, you know, before most of us were born, the way you did dating, ultimately leading into marriage, is you courted. You know, a man would have to ask permission of the woman that he wanted to be in a relationship with, mom or dad, hey, can I, can I come spend some time with, with your daughter? And they would say yes or no, but the whole relationship developed at the house with oversight, with mom and dad there being part of the relationship. Let me show you how it's changed over the last 100 years. Uh, 1900, rolls around, magazines come out to tell the woman what a real woman was, what she was supposed to act like, what she was supposed to wear, what she's supposed to buy. Really, for the first time in American culture, there began to be a lot of outside input for women that wasn't faith or wasn't family. 
family. 1920s roll around. Restaurants and dance clubs become super popular. Women started meeting men really for the first time outside of the house, outside of that security. 1930s, the automobile becomes popular. That meant that the guy didn't have to hang out at the girl's house anymore, a place that was safe, a place that was secure, a place with oversight. The guy would now come pick uh, up his date, take her out to a movie, take her to a party, take her to a dance club. 1940s, it dawns on the guy that dates are expensive, and they still are, okay? The guy realizes that, man, you have to have an automobile, you have to have gas, you have to have nice clothes, you have to buy the food, you have to have flowers. So there becomes this expectation for sex. The mindset of many guys in the culture begins to change. I'm spending money, therefore I should get something out of this. They're outside of the security of the home. And so this is kind of what begins to happen. By 1960, the culture embraces this, especially with the feminism movement. And also, this is the time where the first Playboy magazine hits the stores. So now, so now young men, they're looking at this magazine. They're going to pick up their women. They're taking them away from their families, expecting sex in return for them spending money and expecting the woman to dress like and act like the woman that they've been looking at in the magazines. 1970s roll around, birth control pills, uh, they come around. So men and women can now sleep together with a less chance of getting pregnant. 1973, the legalization of abortion. So if you get pregnant, it's easier to end the pregnancy. Later in the 70s, divorce becomes very prevalent and very popular. If you get married, you could get out of it with not many consequences. Same time, government assistance for unmarried women picks up. At this point in time, there was really no government assistance uh, for women who got pregnant who were not married. Used to, if you got pregnant and you were not married, you wanted to get married. You needed that security. You needed that paycheck. You needed the man. With the government's help and influence, you know, no matter how you know, well-intended it was, there was a disincentivization, if that's a word, for women uh, to get married. And so you kind of see that's happening as well. And all these things, listen to me, have reshaped the culture and the dating scene and ultimately marriage uh, as we're kind of moving forward. So you fast forward 40 years, this is a culture that we live in, dating around, hooking up with everyone, no-fault marriages and no-fault divor- no divorces are common in 2020. In 1960, the average guy got married, like I said earlier, or 1960, the average guy got married at 23. Now it's about 29. The woman was 20. Now it's 27. And there's nothing wrong with waiting till later in life to get married. The problem is during these dating years, if you're hooking up and you're shacking up and you're breaking up, then you're getting married and there's a lot of divorce. Are you following me here? Not to mention the consequences of the person and the marriage and the kids. To make matters worse, you, you jumped to 2007. Now, you know, 13 years ago, that's when the iPhone came out. And a lot of great things came with the technology, but there was also a lot of bad things. Uh, pornography, uh, distractions, not to mention uh, we got into a lot of internet dating where the socialization has really changed. There's a lot of stuff that's happened over the last 120 years. Listen, a lot of us in here didn't stand a chance. We had no idea what was going on, okay? There's been a systematic plan to destroy marriage, to destroy the family, and to destroy our country. We're living in it right now. But listen, just like for the coronavirus, there is hope, right? His name is Jesus. He cares. 
Listen, there's a lot of bad things that are going on in our country today. There's a lot of uh, relationship problems, but the hope is Jesus is still on his throne. He's still there. He still cares. And God has a lot to say about marriages. God wants to help us in marriage. God wants to help us in family. You know, Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? The solution is God. The solution has always been God in godly marriage. And the solution is taking our marriages back. The solution is doing marriage and doing family biblical. Listen, our society has major problems to deal with, and I believe the solutions come from godly men, godly women, godly marriages, and godly families that are following the word of God, that are making an influence, that aren't digging our head in the sand, and we're not following to the patterns of the world. If you leave with one thought or one idea today as Christians in every aspect of our life, we are called not to follow the patterns of the world. The patterns of the world lead to, to death. They lead to destruction. They, they lead to pain. Listen, life is hard enough just following God because we live in a fallen world. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. We have to follow the principles of God because if we don't, things are going to be even worse. And we're seeing that right now. God has a plan and purpose for marriages. And that's what we're going to talk about just for a few minutes. Listen, I realize there's a lot of people in here that, that have, uh, you know, different stories and stories that I don't know. You know, maybe you're in here and your marriage is going really well. Maybe you're in here and your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe you're in here and you are struggling. Maybe you're separated. Maybe you've been divorced multiple times. Listen, God cares about you. God cares about the situation and the season of life that you're in. And what we're going to pray and believe today is whatever season of life that we're in, that God is going to help us. God is going to make the marriage that we are in today stronger, better, more godly. You know, for those of you in here that are single, you know, for those of you in here that are seniors, for those of you in here that are widowed, I have something for you today too. God loves you. God knows what season that you're in. And even though I'm focusing primarily on marriage, listen, God's going to speak to you. God has a purpose for your season. Say, God has a purpose. God has a purpose. So what we're going to do over the next couple weeks is we're going to talk about things to strengthen our marriage, strengthen our family. And what I want to do for the remainder of tonight is I want to talk about five keys for our marriage to not conform to the culture. And I think these are going to be encouraging. I think they're going to be challenging. Listen, Christians, it's time that we, we step up. It's time that we follow God. It's time that we live an exemplary life. And, and I think the word of God's going to help us. You know, right now, as we've said, we're going through a crisis in America with this virus. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of confusion. There is a lot of chaos. And you know what? God wants to use us in this hour to be a voice, to be a constant, to be beacons of hope, to point people towards Jesus, not to just, you know, freak out and go buy a lot of toilet paper. You know, you need toilet paper. You need it. But God has a plan and purpose. God wants to settle our families down. He wants to encourage our marriages and he wants to use us to be a light. Amen? Amen. So let me pray. Lord, we love you. God, I pray, God, that you would strengthen our marriages. God, you would strengthen our hearts. God, I pray for everyone in this room. God, that you would give us a sense of peace. God, you would challenge us. You would encourage us. And I pray every person leaves us one thing that you've called them to do this next week. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Okay, key number one. Key number one. We strengthen our marriage by putting God first. Look at your spouse if they're here and say, you got to put God first. If you're single, say, you got to put God first. Right? Listen, if you want to have a great godly marriage, if you want to have a great godly family, 
If you want to have a great godly life in general, you have to put God first. And this is really simple, but listen to me. What I am saying is you cannot put your marriage first. You cannot put your family first. If you want to have a godly marriage and family, which we all do, they can't be first. They have to be second and third. God has to be number one. Here's what Matthew twenty two thirty seven 37 said. Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Look what the Exodus 20 verse 3 says. This is 10 commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. If your family, if your marriage is above God, it's wrong. It's out of order. It's out of priority. And it will never function the way you want it to. That's the truth of the matter. A strong marriage is only built when the foundation is right. And when the foundation is strong and that foundation is Jesus. Is God really first in your life? You know, this is something that I struggle with all the time. You know, I, I think a lot of us, if we're to be honest, we struggle with this. Is God number one? Is God above your kids? Is God above your wife or husband? Is God above your boyfriend or girlfriend? Do our thoughts and our actions prove that Jesus holds the number one spot in our life? Because listen, Jesus wants us to have great marriages, great family, but he does not want us to put those above him. Let me show you what the Bible says again. This is Jesus, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So listen to me. So if you want God to bless your marriage, what do you have to do? What's the key? You seek him first. If you want God to bless you with a healthy, great family, what do you have to do? You have to seek God first. That's the key. There's one formula. You know, if you want God to prosper your business, what do you do? Do you put business ahead of everything? No. You put God first and everything else will be given to you as we live righteous lives under Christ. God has a plan and the plan is putting him first. There's a lot of well-intended people that don't put God first. And I'm telling you, you're never going to see the, fulfill, the fulfillment and the full potential of your family and your marriage until you put him number one because it is set up like that. So practically speaking, how do we put God first in our marriage? I want to give you two basic things real fast. Number one, we realize and we remember that God's love is the ultimate love. Listen, marriage, that love is amazing. That love that you have for your kids is amazing. But the knowledge and the revelation that God loves you unconditional, think about that. God's love is perfect. God's love never fails. God's love is complete within itself. Listen, no matter how awesome your marriage is and how much you love your spouse, your capacity to love them and their capacity to love you will not satisfy. It really won't. Only God can bring complete fulfillment. You know, so therefore, if you're looking for your spouse to completely fulfill you, it will never happen. I think this is one of the reasons that we so, see so many divorces in our country because we get married to someone, we love them so much, they're so pretty, they're so awesome, and we get into marriage, and then over, you know, time, you know, life comes, different things happen, there's different priorities, we have kids, we have all this stuff, and all of a sudden we realize that we are not fulfilled. The fulfillment cannot come from your wife or from your, your husband or even from your kids. Fulfillment comes from God. If we put God number one, we will be fulfilled in our life. Listen, I, I know that seems so practical, but if you are unfulfilled right now in your marriage, there's a 99.999, let's just say 100% chance that it's because God is not taking number one in your life. If you'll put God number one in your life, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Here's the second way to practically put God first is through prayer. 
having your individual time with God and having a time where you pray together with your spouse. Now listen, at the end of the day, we all have to have a personal walk with Jesus. Whether you're married, whether you're single, we have to have a personal walk with God. We have a personal walk with God through prayer, through reading our Bibles, through drawing near to God. It's also so important for spouses to pray together. You know, it's important to pray together. Um, you know, even going back to, to singles and maybe you're in here and, and, and you're not married right now, God is completely fulfilling. He is. And in this season of your life, God is all you need. He's all you'll ever need. You know, kind of side point uh, right here, the best thing that I can encourage us to do as a church in regards to the virus that's going around is to connect with God, to seek God, and to pray for our nation. That's why Pastor Zach led us earlier today. That's why we're specifically having some prayer uh, tomorrow night, but it's to pray with God. Listen, there's so much uncertainty in our world right now, but God, again, is still on his throne. He still cares. He still brings peace. He still is the hope of the world, and we desperately need him right now. Listen, real talk. How much time over the last week have we spent praying to God? God, get rid of this virus. God, protect my family. How many times have we really done that? You know, I mean, that's what we're called to do. You know, it is, it is a little funny if you're scrolling through Facebook and you're seeing people freak out about food and, and toilet paper and all this stuff. I mean, I've looked at like a lot of funny memes that are out there, I'll be honest. But this is a spiritual attack. Sickness is from hell. That's where it's from. I mean, I know it's funny when we're scrolling through and we're seeing all this, but you realize the stock market's fallen. A lot of you have lost the money in your 401ks. I'm not telling you like to get scared and to wig out. I'm not telling you to be anxious or fearful. I'm telling you this is a spiritual battle. This is the church's greatest hour to pray. We have to step up. We have to seek after God. God didn't create this virus, but I'm telling you, God will use something like this to shake us to get us to focus on him. We need to pray. Listen, there's going to be times in our marriage where there's a crisis, this is kind of a crisis that the whole world is dealing with right now, but there's going to be a crisis. Crisis? I'll have to check my language arts book on that. There's going to be times in your life where there's a crisis. There's going to be a time in your life where you don't know how to deal. There's going to be times where you lose a job. There's going to be times where you maybe you have a wayward son or daughter. There's going to be times where you are ill in your body, and that's where faith comes in. Faith has to rise right now in this church. Faith has to rise in our hearts. Lord, what's going to be is going to be, but we're going to pray, we're going to fast, we're going to believe, we're going to seek after you, and we're going to believe that you are sovereign and you're going to do what you do. God will test us through some of this stuff. Listen, we want to come through. We want to come through praying and believing and full of faith. Amen? So that's first point. Seek God first. And before we move on, I do have a funny meme to show you real quick. You can look at it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I thought that was good. I thought that was good. I thought that was good. Okay, key number two. Key number two. Key number two. Key number two. Y'all act like y'all didn't see that earlier today as you're scrolling through your face. <laughs> key number two. Slow down. Look at your spouse and say, we got to slow down. Hallelujah. How many people, you know, you would classify your life right now as like busy? Or how many people have you used the word crazy? Or, man, I wish I had more time. If you thought that or said that in the last month, I wish I had more time. A lot of us. You know, for years, Whitney and I, we would say that almost like as a badge of honor, man. We're so busy. We're so, you know, we have so many irons in the fire. But have you ever stopped to think, is this a good thing? 
Is being super busy and super tired and super hurried all the time, is that a good thing? As everyone in here knows, we live in a super fast-paced society in the United States of America in 2020. We have work, we have school, we have practices, we have dance, we have games, we have recitals, we have friends, we have TV shows, we have social media, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have Twitter, we have surfing the web, we have meetings, we have commitments, we have Pinterest, we have to eat, so we have to cook, we have laundry, the yard has to be mowed, we have to excel at our job, we have to put money back, you have to get enough sleep, but the next season of your favorite show just came on, and so we have to stop everything and watch 10 episodes in one night, right? Not to mention our, our hobbies, we have to fish, we have to hunt, we have to golf, we have to shop. Most of us in here, if we're to be honest, we are running on fumes. And because we're running on fumes, we take coffee in the morning to wake us up, we take pills at night to put us to sleep. Stats show that over the age of 18 years old, there's over 50 million people that are on uh, anxiety medication because we are running around crazy. We're running around crazy busy, and the life that we're living is so busy, and we're always burning the candle at both ends, and at some point in time, the plates that you're spinning, they're going to fall, and the two that fall the quickest and the fastest and the most are your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse. We go, we go, we go, we go. We're patted on the back. It's the American dream. Keep going so we can buy another car. Keep going so we can get a bigger house. The interest rates are lower. We justify our fast-paced lifestyle by more debt. Are you following me? So we can stay locked into this system. And I don't have time to get into that. But the point is this. The culture wants your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse to fall. The enemy wants it to fall. That's how our whole system is set up. We live, we live in, an, in a nation who is, it was founded by God, but the antichrist spirit is running wild right now. It wants you to be busy. It wants your relationship to God, with God to be non-existent. It wants your relationship with your family and your kids to be non-existent. That's what the enemy wants. When you look at the life of Jesus, I see something completely different than the lifestyle that a lot of us in here live, including myself. How many people would agree that Jesus had a lot of stuff to get done in his 33 years on earth? Particularly the three years of his ministry. He had a lot to get done. Yet it never seemed like Jesus was in a hurry. It never seemed like he was just so busy. It never seemed like he was very stressed out. What's interesting, if you look at the life of Jesus, um, he did a whole lot of miracles. He touched a whole lot of people. But most of the time that he's doing miracles and doing a lot of this stuff, he's going from one place to the next. He's going to the city. He's going to the synagogue. He's going to the temple. He's going away. He's on the lake. Like he was always doing something, but he always made time for people. Think about how many times he's walking somewhere. He's always walking somewhere. He, they didn't have cars. We know that. He had to walk. But he's always heading somewhere. Somebody would come up. They needed healing. They needed a demon cast out. They needed help for their sick you know, kids, whatever. Jesus always made time for people. Always. He didn't push them off on the disciples. He didn't kind of put his head down and pretend like he didn't see them in Walmart, right? I deal with that sometimes. I mean, I'm preaching to myself. But Jesus had such a lot of stuff to do, yet he was focused. He was here. He was present. He was here and now. You know what I mean? He knew what he was doing. He was intentional. He prioritized what needed to be prioritized. He always took time for people. And I think it's something we have to do a better job of. Quickly, I want to give you a few ways to intentionally slow down in your life that's going to help your marriage. Number one, when you're there, be there. When you're at work, be at work. 
When you're at work, hustle, work, make money, do a good job. But when you're at home, be at home. When you're at home, connect with your family, connect with your kids, connect with your God. You know, we have to be intentional. Uh, number two, turn off your phone. When you get home, turn off your phone. You know, it's funny when Whitney and I, when we go out to eat, you know, we'll, we'll sit across and we'll see people there obviously on a date and they're on their phone the whole time. You know, most people in here at some point in time in your marriage, you would probably say, I wish we had more time for each other. You know what? We do. We need to consciously, you know, we, we read a book months ago uh, and it said you need to parent your phone. It's like you parent your kids. You put your kids to bed. Some of us, we need to put our phones to bed. Turn them off. When I get home, I'm going to connect with my wife. I'm going to connect with my, my husband. I'm going to connect with my kids. I'm going to connect with God. Whatever season of life you're in, we don't need all the, the, just the busyness. Number three, schedule your values. I'll always say this anytime I, anytime I speak because it's so important. If you value your husband or your wife, you will spend time. You will set aside time to hang out with them. If you value your kids, you will set a time to hang out with them. And listen, uh, I wish Whitney and I could do a date night out every single week. It's a great goal that we've had every year. We haven't met that goal, but I'll tell you what you can do. Every single day, every single week, you can have quality time. You can go sit on the porch. You can put the kids to bed and you can go talk. You can go hang out. Prioritize your life. Number four, start your day by praying. Don't let your phone be the last thing you look at before you go to bed and the first thing you look at when you wake up. That's called an addiction, and a lot of us have it, all right? Final thought, this virus, if things do shut down, listen, like I told you earlier, um, I mean, our church is listening. We're watching just like you. I mean, you're on the pulse of what's going on. Somebody in Texarkana gets this virus, and, you know, the schools may be shut down for a few days a week. Who knows? You are going to have a great opportunity, if that happens, to connect with God, to connect with your spouse, and to connect with your, your kids, you know, the Bible says, you know, what was meant for evil, God can turn around for good. I want to encourage you, if things kind of shut down for a week or two, connect with God and your family. You will be glad that you did. I got another meme for you. I actually laughed out loud when I saw this uh, yesterday. My wife of three years is actually pretty cool after getting to know her over the past few days. <laughs> no sports, right? No activities. Okay. Number three, key three. Remember, God gives us the roadmap for what a godly husband and wife and marriage is supposed to look like. And also what a, what a man is supposed to look like, what a female, what a wife is supposed to look like. And you know what that is? It's the Bible. Listen, Dr. Phil and, and Oprah, and there's some magazines that might have a good point out there that can, you, know, you can incorporate into your, your marriage. But listen, the Bible is the roadmap. The matrix that we live in right now is spinning out of control. When it comes to marriage and family, there's things that are just being made up. It's like they're just trying to figure things out. The, the progressive antichrist society that we live in is desperately trying to change every absolute that the Bible clearly has laid out for thousands of years. Particularly marriage and family. Think about the gender roles. Think about the roles of husbands and wives. It is completely messed up. And surprise, it's not working. And you know why it's not working? Because it's not supposed to work. It's supposed to destroy us. That's why they keep throwing this at us. They're hoping Christians will grab a hold of it. I'm here to tell you, we can't grab a hold of this stuff that's coming out there. Some of you, maybe the words you need to take home is stop watching so much television and so many movies that are depicting God is some out-of-touch myth and it's depicting, you know, every single uh, character and every single marriage that's not godly. 
maybe we need to quit watching that. Maybe we need to quit letting our kids watch this. That's just free tonight. As Christians, we don't need to rely on the crazy things that the society is doing. We need to rely on God. Real quick, I want to look at three roles for husbands and wives according to the Bible. Um, the roles of male and female, the roles of husband and wife, they began a long time ago. Actually, the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. Look what this says, Genesis 1:26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So let's look at three specific roles of men and husbands and wives and women. Really fast, number one role for a husband is to be like Jesus. That's your number one role. The Bible says that he created us in the image of God. So what is, what is Jesus like? Well, Jesus loves, Jesus serves, Jesus cares, Jesus blesses, Jesus forgives, he helps, he is loyal, he's honorable, he's full of integrity, he's compassionate, he's protecting on and on and on. The number one thing a husband is supposed to be and to look like is Jesus. That's a lot. But that's what we're called to be like. We are created in his image. So through God, through the Holy Spirit, through maturing, through spending time with God, he will make us look more like him. The process is called sanctification. And if you will hold on and you will pray and you will seek God, man, he will make you look more like himself. The second role for husbands is to love their wives. Listen, this is Paul, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, we love our spouse, not just how the world tells us to love our spouse, but we love our spouse by how God shows us to. The love a husband has for his wife should be like how Christ has his love for the bride of, the bride, the bride of Christ, the church. That love is, is self-sacrificing. That love is all in. It's laying down one's life, right? That's what that love should look like. The third role of a husband uh, and as a man in general is to work. Say work. Very beginning of Genesis, Pastor John talked about this a few months ago, Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it. That's what he said. One of the primary roles of men and for husbands is to work, to provide, to provide a sense of security. Later, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. Listen, there's exceptions to that. Now, there's exceptions. People that are injured, men that are hurt, that are disabled, you're retired. Like, I get it, but for the most part, we are called to work. We are called to provide. We are called to bring a sense of security to our family. You know, have you ever thought about it before? Maybe the reason that Eve and, and Adam fell into temptation was because Adam wasn't out there keeping the snakes out. <laughs> Keep them out. You know, it's interesting. I mean, you could do a whole message just talking about that situation, at, we don't even know where Adam's at. Where's he at? You know, he's probably like doing something like meandering around, you know, just kind of like, you know, and danger comes in. Anyway, uh, let's keep going. Th real quick, three roles for wives as laid out by the Bible. Number one, look like Jesus. We were made in the image of God. If you're trying to struggle with your, what you're supposed to do with your life, guys or girls, singled or married, you're supposed to look like Jesus. That's it. Number two, you're called to be a helpmate. 
Genesis 2.18 says, In the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. A helpmate is not less than. A helpmate is not inferior to. Helpmate, by definition, means partner or companion. You're a companion to your spouse. The Bible says that the husband is the head of the house. You are his partner. You are his companion. That is the correct way that we should live and be in marriage and community together. You're a helpmate. You're a partner in this thing that, we, that, that is called life. Number three, wives, you're called to respect your husbands. Ephesians 5.33 says this, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, I've heard several great teachings on this. You know, I, I used to think, how come, you know, husbands are called to love their wives, but wives aren't called to love their husbands? How come wives are called to respect their husbands, but husbands aren't called to respect their wives? And, you know, I, I listened to this message, and it kind of resonated, and, and, and they said this. They said, you know what? Women have a tendency, mothers and, and ladies and moms in general, wives, you have a tendency to love. Like, you kind of, that kind of comes easy for most of y'all, from what I can tell, Right? I feel like, you know, I don't have to, Whitney will tell me she loves me all the time, you know? Husbands, it's kind of harder for us to, like, love, you know? I mean, I don't say I love a lot of things, you know? I'm not like, I love that Kleenex. I love those mints. It's just kind of like whatever. I think God commanded us to love because he knows, like, that's something that we have to seek God and to work after. I think women naturally, there's just love there. On the flip side, I feel like what guys need, what we kind of respond with, is respect and honor. We're about a handshake. We're about principles. We're about do the right things. And so I don't need Whitney to tell me 100 times a day she loves me. What I like to know is that she's behind me. She respects me. So I think God calls us to, he gives us natural gifts, and I think he calls us to the things that aren't as natural, he commands us to do. He says, husbands, love your wives. I made women to already be naturally to love. Wives, I want you to respect your husbands because I already built inside of you this natural love. Are you following me here? It sounds good to me, so we'll go with that. All right. Before I move on, um, I think most of the problems that we have in our marriage are not marriage problems. I think they're problems with our relationship with God. I think most of the problems we have in marriage are not marriage problems. I think they're God problems. Think about it. Anger? Lack of patience, kindness, pride, jealousy, unforgiveness, those aren't marriage problems. Those are relationship with God problems. And I talked about earlier finding satisfaction and fulfillment in Christ in your relationship with God. But a lot of us in here, we're dealing with anger, we're dealing with jealousy, we're dealing with pride, we're dealing with unforgiveness. And that has nothing to do with your wife or your husband. That has to do with your walk with God. That's the fruit of the Spirit. God is trying to work this in us, right? Okay, fourth key to marriage is your marriage is missional. If you don't hear anything else tonight, I want you to hear this. Marriage is great. Marriage is awesome. Marriage is God's design. It's a picture of Christ and his love for the church. But check it, life is about God. It's not about marriage. I talked about that on the first point, kind of. But God's mission is bigger than your marriage. And I'll suggest to you that ultimately marriage is to accomplish the mission for that season of life that you're in. God had a reason for you and your spouse coming together. It was to enjoy one another. It was to, you know, have companionship, to be happy, but for a lot more than that. And I think that God brings us together uh, missionally for several purposes. Real quick, I want to look at three purposes uh, that God brings us together. Number one, to show a clear picture of the gospel. 
your marriage is about being, isn't just about being happy and taking nice family pictures and going to Disney World one time while your kids are young, okay? It's a living, walking, breathing picture of Christ's love for the church. It's sharing the gospel. If we do marriage correctly, it's a picture of the gospel. Number two, God puts us together for the purpose of using our gifts and our talents to serve him. He does. Individually, every person in here, whether you're single, whether you're a senior, whether you're married or not married, God has given you talents and abilities, not to squander them, but to use them for his people, to use him, use them for his glory. You know, when you are married and you're in a family, God wants to use those talents to glorify him. And I think one reason that there's a lot of turmoil sometimes within the home, within families, within marriages, is I think a lot of times it's because we're not doing that. You know, uh, years ago, I, I played football in college, and the first several weeks, really the first four or five weeks, uh, you're doing two-a-days, and you are practicing against yourself day after day after day. And after about a week, you just kind of get tired of the people that you keep hitting over and over and over again. And inevitably, what's going to happen is there's going to be a little fight that breaks out one day. And then the next day, there's going to be two or three. Then the next day, I mean, it's just like everything that the coaches can do because you are just tired. you're just fighting each other. But then, you know, a lot of times they'll bring in another team and you'll finish out your, your, your fall practice before the game start or your, your summer practice, like kind of scrimmaging against other people. Listen, a lot of times when we are not outwardly focused, we're just all about our marriage, we're all about our family. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but if you never go outside of that, if you're never focused on reaching people, you're going to do a lot of fighting within. So my point of advice would be this. If you're arguing, if you're fighting, Man, get outside of your house and go do something for somebody else. Go help somebody. Go serve somebody. Listen, the most connected that you will ever feel to your family is when you are out and you are doing the work of God. Why? Because you were created to do it. That's why we're here, to work together, to partner together. Listen, if you're single, you're not married, you have a gift that God gave you. Use it for the kingdom of God. What a great opportunity right now in the midst of these, this virus, of this confusion, of this fear to get out there and help some people. You know, I want to encourage our church body two things right now as Zach and the band are coming up. Number one, I want us to pray. I want you to pray. If you can't make it tomorrow night, just, let's just do this. I'm just, this just came to my head. Every night at 7 o'clock, let's pray for a couple minutes for our nation, for our families, and for our city. Can we do that? That's not too hard. We can pray. And secondly, serve. If things shut down for a little bit, man, you can go to your neighbor. You can talk to them. If, you, if you're blessed, you can send some money to somebody who doesn't have some to make sure they have some food. Now is our greatest hour to get out and to serve. Now is our greatest hour to help. Amen? Here's a final key. final key for godly marriage is to forgive often. Listen, if you've been married for any point in, in time longer than one day, You've hurt your spouse through your words, through your actions. You just have. We're natural. We're, we're sinful. You've hurt their feelings. You've said something that was mean. But what does Jesus call us to do? He calls us to forgive. He calls us to, to, to continue to forgive. He calls us to live a life of forgiveness. You know, Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, forgive me of my sins and let me forgive those who sinned against me. Sometimes we have the hardest time forgiving those who are closest to us. Sometimes it can get awkward. Sometimes it can get just like we've put so many barriers and so much time up. I want to encourage you to forgive. For real. 
when your spouse, some of you may need to repent, you know, for something that you've said to your spouse. Repent and you forgive. That's what Jesus did. If Jesus forgives us of our sins and we won't forgive our spouse for what they said or what they did, listen, you've put yourself ahead of God and you are worshiping yourself. Do what he said. Sometimes it's hard, but it's forgiveness. And that's what we have to do. And listen, don't be in an archaeologist and, and just keep bringing stuff back up all the time. Once you forgive somebody, once they repent, forgive them and give it to God. Amen? I want you to stay on your feet tonight. You know, hopefully for, for you, this is practical. You know, if you're married, if you're married right now, this is our greatest hour. This is our greatest hour. It's our greatest hour to show the love of Christ. It's the greatest hour to show the gospel. It's the greatest hour to disciple. If you're single in here and you're not married, this is our greatest hour as a church to be godly, to follow Jesus, to use our gifts and our talents for him. Listen, God has laid out a roadmap for success with marriage, with family, with people that are single. We just need to follow it. You know, I don't know what the next few days and few weeks look for America, but I know what they can look inside of our homes and inside of our marriages, inside of our hearts. There can be peace, there can be joy, and there can be hope. Because we serve a God that's all of those things. Amen? Listen, I want to do two things. I want to pray for marriages. And I want to pray again for this virus. Can we do that? If you're not scared, grab your spouse's hand. And we're going to pray. Lord, right now, I just pray for our marriages tonight. God, I thank you that marriage was ordained and created by you. We didn't come up with it. You did. God, and I thank you, Lord, the people that you brought together, I pray that no man would separate God, I pray right now for strength. I pray for courage. I pray for boldness. I pray for the favor of God. God, I pray that we would follow you. We would use the Bible as a roadmap. God, right now, we wouldn't operate in fear. God, we would, we would forgive our spouse. And I just feel right now, maybe as you're holding your spouse's hand, you know, you know that you need to ask them to forgive you. Maybe you need to, you know, to forgive them. I don't know. Right now, in just a moment, you can just ask God, God, I release them. Lord, I bless them. You know, in this moment, pray for your spouse. God, I, I pray that you would bless my spouse. I pray that you would give them favor. I pray that you would give them the mind of Christ. God, I pray for marriages that last and bear much fruit. God, I pray for our singles that are here today, young or old. God, I pray for grace, for passion, for zeal. Lord, to follow you, to go after you. Lord, we all have a plan. We're all in a different season of life. But Lord, you control it. Help us follow you. And Lord, right now, we shift our attention to what's going on nationally, Lord, with this virus. God, again, we pray it to flee in Jesus' name. God, we pray that it would dissipate, that it would go away, that it would turn around. God, we pray against any more cases. God, we pray, Lord, for health and wholeness. God, we pray, Lord, that you would help us. God, people right now that literally are fearful and they're just in anxiety and they just don't know what to do because there's so much fear going around. God, I pray peace right now. God, I pray peace to our leaders. God, I pray the mind of Christ to our leaders. And I pray against anybody that has a platform that is trying to deceive people and make them fearful. We pray against it. We pray against the panic right now. We recognize that that is from the pit of hell and we pray against it. Let the peace of God overwhelm us. And God, I pray once again that this would be our greatest hour as a church and as followers to be a light in a dark world. Lord, bless your people in Jesus' name. Before we go back into a time of prayer, I want my prayer team to come up right now. 
And I'm sorry I've went over a couple minutes, but here's the last question. Pastor John asks it every single week. We've been talking about, you know, marriage. We've talked about the virus that's been consuming TV and Facebook and all that stuff. But there is a virus out there that's a lot worse than the coronavirus. It's sin. And sin will kill you. But the good news is Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. You know, there's a lot of fear that's going on right now. I want to challenge you, not just to take inventory of your refrigerator, but to take inventory of your heart. Are you where you need to be with God right now? Is your relationship with God firm? Is there a surety knowing that you will spend eternity in heaven, not because of your good works, but because Christ died for you and you've accepted him as Lord and Savior? You have repented of your sins and you believe in him. If you've not done that, tonight is the night that you can do it. If you're in this place and you say, you know what, I know tonight is my night. I need to ask God to come into my heart. I need to repent of my sins. I need to make sure I'm right with God. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand real fast. Hey, Amen. I don't see any hands. If, if you want to pray, one of these prayer team members would love to pray with you about any need that you have. We'll have someone at the cross. It's actually Clint over there right now. He will pray with you if you want to receive Christ. Hey, let's lift up our hands. Let's worship God another moment, and you may be dismissed.